0: Hello, everyone. I'm Marcus Hurston, and I will be your Dungeon Master for Season 2 of the Monsquad D&D Podcast. Let's begin by introducing you to the setting, the players, and the characters. Meet the Mon Squad, an adventuring party that has been traveling together over the course of a year. They have just returned from the domain known as the Shadowfell, where they defeated the Vampire Lord Strahd. The party now finds themselves returned to a familiar territory in the material plane. Welcome to Idlir, a world of no gods but infinite myths. The world is broken into five major continents. Ankala and Ankara, which together make up the Ankara Dominion. The Armada Isles, comprised of seafaring folk and tropical paradises. Jack's Crown can be found at the top of the world, blowing chilling winds amongst the rest of the land. Last but not least, we have Oxoy. Home of Opportunity. 1400 years ago, the city known as Capital became established, and this grand city spanned and covered most of the eastern side of the continent. The peoples of the city are governed by a majocracy and headed by an emperor. Since its establishment, the city and governing forces have launched the world into a new era of arcane technological advancement. However, not all are ideally aligned with capital. Some would even say that this utopia is a farce built on blood. Now, let's meet our players.
1: I'm Bree Beecher. I'm playing Scarlet, a level 10 chaotic good cleric of Oladomara, the Laughing God. She's a 5'2 dampier, 21 years of age. She's got pastel pink hair with short bangs and two buns that she has up on either side of her head. Her hair is about chest length. She's got very light purple skin, reminiscent of a drow, but maybe more of a half drow. She's got a set of prominent vampire teeth on the top row and two small little teeth that are sharp on the bottom since she's got a little bit of orc heritage. She has piercing red eyes that she hides behind a pair of circular red spectacles. Her clothes are a mix of pastel pinks and dark blacks and purples. It's very pastel goth in a way. She's got a little plaid skirt with frills and a corset-like top with a white blouse that sits underneath of it she has tall boots that lace up from bottom to top they're about knee-high boots and underneath all of it is a thin metallic sheen of what looks like armor that she can click on and off and turn it into a piece of jewelry on her hip she has two swords one has decorations of intricate silver linings of cobwebs and spiders. The other one is a black hilt with no blade attached. On her person she also keeps a little pink parasol with lace on it that she keeps out when she's in direct sunlight. On her waist there's a mask that looks a lot like the mask that you would see like a theater mask one half smiling and laughing with the other side in a grimace and frown. And it's ivory and gold, with several missing slots along the crown of the the crown and nose of the mask. Uh, only one of the the slots has a gem actually filled in in it. She also keeps on her person, almost always in her hand, an alms box, which is intricately designed with the same mask and same color scheme. Scarlet's a really tricky individual. She's really into pranking and goofing off. She's a worshipper of the laughing god, so she really embodies that. She also has a really hard time taking no for an answer. Uh, She's a bit stubborn in that sense. She's also very caring and genuine towards the people that she loves and even people she doesn't know. Uh, if you're someone who's in need, she's going to be the first person to reach out. Um, now, if you're someone who looks gullible, you might see her try and steal or trick you. But overall, she's a very kind-hearted individual. Scarlet was born in the Shadowfell to a vampire father and a drow mother. Her father in life was one quarter orc, so he had very olive skin and... Just a little bit of fang to him. Her mother was a full drow with deep purple skin and long pure white hair. Her family fled to the Material Plain, taking her with them to the city of Capital, where they eventually ended up setting up a residence in an area outside of the city, eventually turning it into the town of Duskmore, where her family still lives and rules to this day. She did grow up isolated from everyone only really going to the city on occasion with her father or when she would occasionally successfully sneak out. Growing up isolated, she didn't really have any friends or people she could turn to outside of her direct family and people in the castle. So it did affect her just a little bit, but overall it was a pretty good upbringing. She did eventually set out on her own, which is when she met up with the party. And she's been traveling with them for about a year now. Her last mission was actually to kill Strahd and rescue her father from the Shadowfell, which she just got back from doing. She's now currently prepping her castle to be a base of sorts for her and her friends while they're here in the Material Plane. And that's where she's at right now, and how she got here.
0: Yeah. She's working with her father, actually, in the, uh kind of uh, uh, arcane engine room, which is actually below the uh, palace itself. Or, well, the tower, I should say. But yeah, you guys have been working on this for the better half of a week. Your father has input new um, arcane engines to amass for the new power output they need in order to run those defenses. But from what I understand, there was things you wanted to talk to him about.
1: Yeah, so... I recently found out via dying that I'm not entirely all dampier. That there's something about my being that's different. Because while Scarlet was fighting Strahd, she died. Fully died. And came back with just a few hit points and a lot more power than she's ever had. So she doesn't really know where that came from. And she wants to kind of figure out where that power is coming from and how to control it or you know what all what all she can do with this power
0: and having this conversation your progress on the arcane engines are halted for the time being but he does explain to you that the process of becoming a vampire is a very ancient ritual that extends to about three thousand years or more it was originally rumored to be started by one Archmage Carmelina Ambrosa. He explains that in the story of The Mother Who Cried Blood, it's more of a folk tale than it is anything else. She made and created magics that were revolutionary, but they came at very high prices. The cost for these spells were very, very brutal. Eventually, she had children of her own that went to war, And were killed in this war and in her rage she used one of her incantations to kind of empower herself with the essence that she drained from others now eventually she kind of came to an impasse where she was cornered by multiple organizations and her essence was actually kind of spread out so they say Uh, this is all the spark notes of course of the story Now, being a vampire these days requires either, you know, being bitten or a ritual. And he explains further that there's always one vampire every so often that it seems to be a little bit more powerful than others. But when you were born, you showed no signs of that. But you had capabilities that no other vampire had growing up. Therein, your father just chose to protect you and kind of keep you safe because he had that fear in the back of his mind because when you're a vampire, you have a more intimate knowledge of this kind of lore and it kind of scares you a little bit more um, because other than that, there's not really lore for vampires on the material plane. So, your powers that I uh, sent to you, I don't know if you still have those, but now mm-hmm. your powers now... Uh, basically bolster you where you are a living creature, but when you die, it's almost like this, like, one kind of chance, like this uh, extra life, if you will. Like, you always kind of have this one-up that recharges at dawn, basically. But he's remorseful about everything that he's had to do to keep you safe, and he definitely is remorseful about keeping his life a secret from you
1: yeah I think Scarlet would show that she really doesn't care that he kept it a secret she loves him dearly I mean she traveled through the Shadowfell for months on end to rescue him she's not too hurt by the fact that he kept it secret she does understand why he did it and she kind of even feels like if it was her in the same position she might do the same Mm -hmm. so yeah she's she embraces him and tells him she loves him and that it's okay that, that this was kept secret. But she does tell him that she uh, she would like him to be honest with her in the future.
0: He definitely acknowledges that. He actually calls in... Uh, so, over the course of you returning, the city of Dustmore had actually been filled with refugees. Um, these refugees come from war-torn towns on the outskirts of the main city of capital that kind of make up satellite cities that provide farming or industry or the like. Um, But since the war has started, these refugees have nowhere else to go. So they've kind of made it up for that small populace that's gone missing. Uh, And some of them do have skills that come in handy. So your father calls in some that have been staying there for a long time and have been facilitated over the last week um, and he begins to kind of go over how he wants to begin a training regiment with you on actually being a vampire um, with that being said was there anything else that you needed to talk with your father about
1: other than just catching up with him telling her how much she loves him and that she's glad he's back uh, I don't think there's anything else that that have a, that hasn't been already talked about in the week since she rescued him from the Shadowfell. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what Scarlet will do is, once she finishes her conversation with her father, while he starts w- continuing working on this engine, I think she's going to start picking out rooms for all of her friends to have as their safe room in the castle since this castle is going to be like a a home base of sorts now in the material plane um i think i just want to find a hallway fully dedicated it to all my friends and start making sure that it's fully furnished all they need to do is supply their items for when they show up and in that time i uh i also want to try and commune with old Amara She's going to actually uh, take the time to send out a divination spell to her god and just be like, Hey, Ola Damara, I got the question or two for you. It's kind of important if you have time, you could uh, drink about it or something. That's what people do.
0: Normally when you speak with Old Damara in person, you've either gotten one or the other depending on what material, or not, excuse me, not material, but what plane of existence that you're in. And what energy influences that? On the material plane, all energies influence it. So you actually see as kind of the curtains in one of the rooms that you're working in uh, seem to almost shut like theater curtains and you see it kind of in the middle, two people walk out. One, a human looking man with a brown goatee and a brown shock of hair that kind of falls to one side uh, that looks very familiar to your travels in the Feywild, and the other to your most recent travels in the Shadowfell, a blue coated and suited uh, with a white f- uh, pullover mask that has a theater design on the front uh, with a violin and uh, bow uh, equipped to their side. Both of them actually come in and greet you. I thought it would be some time before you called us in. I mean, we've been wanting to talk to you for quite a while with the both of us in the room. As much as we like to bicker. The other one pipes in as well. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. As trifling as it is to be in a room with him, (laughs) I suppose. uh, For you, we can do it. We can make it happen. And he just kind of shoots over a, a, a glare with the mask on. Uh, but at the same time, they say, what is your question?
1: Um, so with her god in both forms here, I think Scarlet's just going to... Uh, I think Scarlet's going to ask for any information that he has about the next closest gem for her mask, maybe like in this material plane. Because um, she already found one in the Feywild, so yeah, you know, if he knows of where she can get a little more power now that she's back dealing with the spooky LAE and capital government, she would really like that.
0: Okay. The one on the left, the one form- formerly known as Demera of the two, well, do you want the one that's more fun and exciting to grab, like an adventure, Or, and then the other one formerly known as Ollie pipes up, or do you want the one that's close, but... While exciting, dangerous.
1: Hmm. Scarlet thinks about it for a second, and she says, like, "Why not both?"
0: <laughs> we thought you might say that. Well, we'll go ahead and tell you. The first one you're looking for is a tiny little tropical trip to the armada isles just a little south of here it's mostly run by privateers and well pirates and the people that live on the islands down there so think of it as a treasure hunt but also watch your back because well <laughs> pirates are no joke they they will kill you pirates are fun though they're fun Yes, yes, yes. Pirates are fun if you're a five-year-old. But if you want a little risk, a little adventure, I suggest you check the choking fields. Just west of here. Actually, it's northwest of here. You're closer than the city of capital itself. (laughs) They should know all about this location. Its entire area is covered in a smoggy, poisoned cloud that kills everything that enters. But I know you're clever. I know you'll find a way in. Whatever you choose, we'll be there. Not there. You have to do it yourself. We just give you the magic. So, make your choice.
1: Hmm. Uh, I'm going to get with my friends, see which one they want to do, but... Thank you for the help. It's actually nice to get you to help me for once.
0: They actually both look at each other. And for once, it doesn't feel like they're looking at each other in angst. More so, uh, like a mentor acknowledging their student is learning, in a way. And then they both look back at you and say at the same time, Find the pieces to our puzzle. They will surely... Make the story much more interesting. But you're welcome, as we do like to help you. But it is we who should be thanking you. For you are helping us more than it would seem. And at that point, they kind of both begin to take like a backwards walk behind the curtain. And they begin to kind of disappear behind the curtain. But a little piece of paper... Floats out and lands on the ground, right in front of the curtain, for you to pick up at your leisure. I Grab it. If you wish for further clues, donning the mask will do.
1: I think with this information, Scarlet's going to go downstairs, walk up to her dad, just be like, Hey dad, got some rooms picked out for my friends, so if people start showing up, send them up there if I'm not here. And Scarlet's going to go to the library and just start researching the two locations.
0: Oh. All right. Well, I suppose that I'll keep working here. Um, We have a lot to work on. Uh, Fortunately, the uh, dusk generator should be working by the end of the day. So we should have nighttime again. It will be lovely. Uh, The sun is dreadful. Oh, and um, I should let you know your mother has gone on political business, uh, so she will be gone for the next few days. But she will be back.
1: Okay, thank you. I'm going to be in the study. Uh, let me know if people show up, and Scarlet's just going to retreat to the study and and spend the next however long just studying about the two locations and getting any information she can so that she's ready when that quest comes up.
2: Hello, I'm Caleb Martin, and I am playing Theodore von Nightshade. Theo is a half-orc, formerly reborn, so you can kind of see that on his skin. It's a little more teal than anything, still a little blue in there. Um, He appears to be in his late 30s, but he's actually a little over (laughs) 1,400 years old uh, because he spent a long time being a reborn merc. He, um, is a chaotic good individual, uh, which means he operates by his own kind of code of honor and ethics. Uh, the right thing to do is the right thing to do is, uh, and other iterations of that are kind of his, um, his motto. Uh, he's pretty tall. He's six foot nine. So he's a big boy, uh, has to duck under most, uh, regular, you know, Door frames and stuff like that, you know. Um, he, for the most of the campaign, uh, he has been an Eldritch Knight, uh, but he has recently taken a couple classes in Artificer. Um, so he likes tinkering on things and figuring out how things work. Um, he is in a pretty somber, stoic place right now. Um, the last thing that he was up to um, was rescuing his son uh, from Strahd's castle in Shadowfell where he lost... He was maimed. Uh, He lost his right arm. Um, So reality has really set in for him. I think he knows he's got one or two more really tough just ass whoopings in him before he has to start figuring out different ways to be effective. And I think that's why he's taken these levels in Artificer to give himself the, the most edge that he has. His age is starting to show. Um, he has recently found his family again, and that's very important to him, and that's also kind of what's driving him right now is to always be ready for, you know, what's going what's gonna to happen, uh, and also preparing himself for what he's willing to do and what he's about to do. So, like I said, Theo's a big boy. Um, he is currently wearing some plate armor, but obviously a bit of it has been um, done away with. Um, he wears a cloak. Uh, currently, he kinda has taken to pulling it over his uh, shoulder. He has really, at this mo- moment in time, he has really long, dark, black, straight hair. Um, he, like I said, his, his skin is a little more teal, a little more blue from being reborn for so long, but you can definitely tell he's a half-orc. He does have, like, small uh, canines coming out, you know, in the stereotypical way. Not, like, comically so, but, you know, you can tell he's a half-orc by his height alone, you know. Um, he is currently carrying, uh, as his weapon, a, uh, a friend of his, Mo. Um, he has decided that he's going to, uh, figure some things out with Mo. Um, he does look a little more, uh, on the, uh, 40 side of 30, um, probably around 38, 39, but his age is starting to show. Uh, there's gray hair starting to pop up, you know, in his, uh, in his hair. He's got a little bit of a scruff right now. He hasn't shaved in a while. Um, he carries himself now. Um, kind of in a little more somber way, whereas before he was very braggadocious and chest out and like, let's go get it done type of individual. Um, His eyes are uh, just black, you know, dark brown black. Um, His jawline is pretty stereotypical bro half-orc jawline. You know, he looks um, like a jock pretty much, Uh, but you can tell that there's like, he has sad eyes. He also has a satchel, the Satchel of Holding, uh, that has, you know, God knows what in there as well. Um, he also uh, appears to be um, kind of favoring one side. Not really a limp, but he's still getting used to only having the one arm. He also has, uh, kind of carrying it, a, a prosthetic limb that he plans to uh, You know figure out how to make it work um so yeah
0: with all that being said we find theo in this at the moment temporary workshop it's just kind of a small uh shed if you will it's the best term i have for it that uh valentino has out for his uh gardeners to use mostly Um, as his workshop is currently being used to full-time facilitate things within the city. Um, But he has easily cleared out all the gardening stuff and moved it elsewhere for the time being so that you may have a workshop as well.
2: Thanks, kid. Appreciate it. (laughs)
0: Um, You find yourself in there with your newly created homunculus uh, servant, which you've given the form of a small mechanical dwarf in shape and memory of Edwina. Yep. Okay. Um, and you are working on this arm, tinkering away mm-hmm. at it. Um, and honestly, over the course of the week, and advice from your son who's been at this for a little while now, it kind of becomes easier to understand how this kind of stuff works. It's like, oh, well, it's really not too complicated. It's like fixing a wagon well, a wagon wheel, but <laughs> with arcane cir- circuitry. Yeah. <laughs> but... Over the course of the week, you actually do manage to get the arm functioning, and you were able to replace it with your
2: well what was previously your arm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I still Theo still ha- keeps the the cloak the cloak over over the arm like it's not really a uh, it's not really a pride thing so much as it is a uh I guess to remind himself he's not whole. You know what I mean? To be realistic about situations he might be going into. Um so, got my arm. I think the next thing that I really wanna do is um I need to I need to figure out what happened between the fall of Capital when I died and how we got to where we are now with Capital. I know I'm in Duskmoor, but there's there should be like a library or something somewhere I could probably go to. Yeah. Oh yeah,
0: oh, absolutely. The, um now there is the uh, the study uh, Valentino's study. Um, he has all manner of books in there. Um, now there is a basic history book of capital and like its government establishment kind of thing and who became the king and uh, that sort of thing. Looking through the book, you see a what we would know as a eighth-grader's understanding of history, essentially. It's vague, but essentially the bits go, on the day of establishing, the city of capital was attacked, and in its first test as a unified people, defended itself from the threatening and dictatorial Ankiri Dominion, which is a conglomerate of Ankira and Ancala, the two continents that are in the eastern side of Idliar. In that, it does mention that the city's greatest defenders, the Ravenblades, your former group, were slain valiantly protecting the city from these invaders. Only one member actually survived this day and was made the new emperor of capital. That individual was Julian Dantelco,
2: Mm.
0: Now, in modern times, the current emperor, or empress as they would say, is Kita Dantelco, 17th in the line of Dantelco.
2: Ooh, he got some splaining to do. (laughs)
0: Um,
2: So Edwina went down that day as well.
0: As it's recorded, there is no survivor other than
2: him. All right um are there any other um books tomes of note that i, I might be able to look into to see if there's any um, are there any books of the political nature on like what was happening i guess in the rest of the world while the, while all that was going on as well like just the alliance of the eastern countries
0: against in this library, I would say, very limited information. Not, not probably information you would seek out. It's not like the actual inner workings of their politics. Right. There are talks of uh, zealotry and um, religious extremism, but for the most part, that side and that non-carry dominion does have like peace within its continent.
2: Okay. Um, okay. That's heavy. Um, I guess I want to go talk to my, talk to my boy. (laughs) Go talk to my son. Okay. I also want to, I guess I just want to talk to him and hear his, what's been going on in your life, bud? It's been a while. You know what I mean? Like,
0: oh, well, um, you know, the obvious, um, Became a vampire lord. Yeah, what's that about? Oh well, shortly after you died, I found myself at a loss of what to do. I wasn't raised to be an adventurer, and I didn't really have a whole lot of skills under my belt. So I did what I could as a criminal,
3: doing odd jobs
0: here and there, and then eventually I came across some knowledge and kind of tumbled into the rest. Um, and you kind of recognize your wife also doesn't have an accent. She spoke similarly to you did with just kind of a vague sense Mm -hmm. of speaking. And you kind of realize that that accent he's speaking with is reminiscent of an accent that you no longer have to hear in the Shadowfell from how much time has been spent around this individual. You kind of realize who, who not who raised this person, but who formed this person. Mm -hmm. Um, But you also see the great remorse in him realizing everything he's done. Um, He goes in to explain how he's had hands in plots that most people couldn't even imagine doing, but at the time for him it was done with ease. He goes into a little bit on his history with the witches, but he kind of stays away from that topic. He seems mm-hmm. a little sensitive to it. But the kind of last thing he says, he says, "Okay, if there's one thing I can do before my luck runs out as a vampire lord because I've made too many enemies to count, I need to know that this world is safe. And by God, if it takes a thousand years of me surviving to do it, I'm going to. Because after all of that, that's what you taught me. You taught me to protect all that I hold dear, and I'm going to do it. You, my daughter, my wife, (laughs) her friends, and your friends, I guess, at this point. (laughs) It's a lot. But I'm glad that we all are here to do it
2: together. I believe in you. I believe that you will hold true to your word. I do have one more question. Shoot. They made Julian Emperor?
0: Oh, yes. Uh, About that. Um, It was confusing. Yes, um, I didn't get to speak to him much. You know, they didn't let me in. But the city seemed prosperous. It didn't seem like anything changed for the people. Um, I don't know. I don't have a whole lot to say on that. Just from what I remember in my contacts at the time. Benevolent, by all means. Although it would explain why when they found your body it was charred with arcane fire.
2: I'm gonna go read some more.
0: Go ahead. Um, I'm also having my people build a, um, a housing units for all of you within the mm-hmm. small city here. Um, that includes a workshop for yourself, so by all means, take any books you need back to the workshop with you. All
2: right. Uh, I'm going to go uh, scour the library, and uh, if you need me, I'll be in the shop.
0: I will call you. I'll be working on the Arcane Engines.
2: Good. Um, I want to go back to my shop, and I want to uh, start... Fiddle around with uh, a, a spell rot sending spell. Okay. For myself.
0: Easy enough to do. Um, I'm assuming you're putting it on, like, maybe your good armor. Somewhere accessible.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm putting it on there. I'm going to use it immediately, so it doesn't really matter where it goes. Okay.
0: So you inscribe a sending spell into your skin.
2: You use it. What do you say? Julian, we need to talk. There's things you haven't been telling me. Are you still on the celestial plane.
0: You expect a sending Spell to come back to you. But it does not. It goes through, though, you do feel that. Instead, what you hear, behind you... I agree. We do need to have a very long discussion. Somewhere... private. where we can both talk and, um... hash it out. I know you have a lot to say, and I have a lot to respond with. And what you see when you turn around is just like an astral projection of him. It's just this kind of golden outline celestial plane. It does have benefits. Um,
2: Probably for the best, really.
0: Right now, yes. Let us talk elsewhere.
2: What's wrong with right here?
0: Well, I don't know if there's spies around or Anyone trying to listen in on us?
1: Mm.
2: All right. Start talking. I'm going to walk past him and out the front door, open the front door, and, like, nod at him to, like, go outside.
0: He begins to walk uh, out the door, head hung low, looking at you from a side glance with a guilty expression.
3: I'm Hunter Parker. I'm, uh, the player that personifies Nika Kozak. Uh, I'm currently a level 10, 725 25-year-old Hexblood, chaotic, um, good, aberrant sorcerer. Uh, aberrant mind sorcerer specifically is the subclass. Um... As for like a physical description, yeah, he's about six, seven, super long black hair that comes into like green kind of tips. It's like kind of as it always seems to be moving as if like magically, but always perfect and amazing. And very bright blue magical eyes. Um, He's got long features. Long features. If you can imagine, like a hag, like a witch, someone in the shadows appears like a monster, something you can't imagine, and then like it zooms in, it's like it's just this, just a really tall, lanky guy. He's kind of attractive, but like you know, we get down to like what he's wearing. Um, normally, a black trench coat with um, black combat boots um, seems to be a pistol that's always with him. That's known as Co-Pilot. And a black hat that has some pins on it. One with a smiley face and another one with a devil face. He's got horns that started as brambles that wrap around his head. Because as a Hexblood, a witch somehow infused Nika as a baby with her essence. So Nika, who was born a Triton and I believe yes half-elf, was born very sickly and his parents made a deal to hide him I found out through the campaign that this was in an effort to protect him from his sorcerous origin the aberrant mind because a creature known as the Godfather who somehow through a blood connection to Nika has given him psychic abilities this need to run led his parents to make a deal. And Nika was given up to a hag witch. And the trick that she used in this deal was Nika was to have a happy childhood, but she infused him with her essence and turned him into a hexblood so that she could have, well, I don't know what her means are, but she could use Nika for a backup vessel or any other means as an evil sort of avatar kind of thing, or a, uh, you know, a new body to inhabit. Negus spent his life growing up knowing this. He was teleported to the Feywild and raised by 17 werewolf dads and had an awesome, kick-ass, fun childhood, just like the witch promised. And when he turned 14, he dreamt of more he wanted different things and all of a sudden one day a portal opened up and apparently he stepped somewhere no portal should have ever opened up to and he came to capital in the what was it the country of Oxoy? and nika didn't know any of that he got jumped in some gang violence and his powers activated and he set them on fire And the Golden Rule, an assassins organization that had some level of honor, happened to see this happen, and they pulled Neek into that. And for the next six to eight years, he lived a life of violence, murder, and just overall survival, as he was once just in the Feywild doing his best to be free, and now he had no other recourse than violence. Fast forward a little bit, a little bit of romance, a little bit of backstory that you find out through the campaign, and he meets the Mon Squad, and he's trying to have fun and adventure again in his life, and through all their misadventures, he picks up the gun again. And starts fighting, starts killing, starts defending, falls in love with Scarlet, gains best friendship and renewed friendship with Tori and Theodore, loses Eligor and Mo, he becomes focused. He's not like the kid who just had to survive anymore, he's a man that just doesn't want to be fucked with, and he's going to protect what's his. And he seems to keep needing more power to do so. And all these crazy things keep fucking with him and his friends. So he just keeps having to find new ways to become more powerful. And our adventures through the Feywild and Shadowfell and fighting Strahd and saving Tasha and saving Zybilna and our friends all growing and changing have led Nika to Duskmoor. And Nika is in a position where he has some downtime. And he wants to settle up some stuff and get ready for the fight ahead. So, the first thing he does is contact Tasha, who he made a deal with when he got Morning Cannon back to her. She said she would teach him. And he needs a ride to Capitol. So, he's going to... Go to Scarlet and the rest of the squad and let everyone know, like, hey, I'll be back in like a week. I, you know, hugs, kisses, I'll be back. Love you, Scarlet. Kiss, kiss. And then um, he gets, a t- He gets if Tasha's willing, uh, to teleport him over to Capitol. Okay.
0: Of course I'm willing to teleport you here. I owe you a favor and much more than that. And a portal opens. Stepping out of the portal is roughly a 19-year-old, dark-skinned, kind of curly-haired, kind of uh, sitting under a uh, uh, floppy hat um, with robes and a uh, unicorn horn for a wand, uh, stepping through. You see Will of the Feywild, but 19 years old now. So it's been about eight years for him.
3: Wow. Wow. We exchange pleasantries as I follow him through the portal. <laughs> yeah, no,
0: we got a we got a lot to do. So uh you, you got any stops to make, and then you guys kind of hop through the portal. Um, you get to the nature preserve in Capital. You kind of hop out of a tree there. Uh, and you look around for Cecil. Not hard to find. He's usually there all times. Um, you find him. He's actually. Uh, it looks a little worse for wear. He's got a, a a splint made of wood on his arm right now, and his face is all, like, black and blue and bloodied, and he's, you know, parts of his, um like, white, snowy uh, from age. Mutton chops are burned and singed.
3: Um, and he just, yeah, he just looks like he's been beat to crap. Fuck. Well, I think I quickly meet up with him ask him a bunch of questions getting quickly information about the city Mm -hmm. and like if he's willing offer him a ride out of here and get him over towards duskmore because i don't want him to have to just sit here and be like beat up but that's up to him open invitation to go there and then yeah find out about seamus and then i grab my stash Which, we can talk about what's all included in that later, but there's like a moment where it's like full John Wick style where I'm like, breaking the cement, and I'm like, I gotta get back in the game. Or no, 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 it's that thing where I think I'm back.
0: (laughs) I think I'm back. Um, Okay, you do all that, Uh, through the conversation you learn Cecil was actually uh, mugged by other druids in the circles for reasons he has not discovered yet, so... He will meet you in Duskmore, but as of right now, he can't leave the Nature Preserve because he's got to investigate. But as far as Seamus goes, he does kind of guide you to where Seamus would be um, with direction. Um, Seamus is currently outside of the city in one of the satellite towns, which is in the war-torn parts. Uh, And it's one of the few farming villages left that haven't been afflicted. So he's currently hiding out there, but... um, you know, he's still available for messages and stuff like that.
3: Okay. I'll cast him sending in a similar message of just saying, I'll meet you in a week's time, or meet me in desk if you can. If not, I'll come to you. He replies, he could certainly do that.
0: He is on the move currently, so a week's time would give him plenty of time
3: to shake off what he's running from. Okay. Then I'm going to head to the Feywild and begin my training with Tasha. Okay.
0: Will looks over at you. Ready?
3: Let's go, Will. So good to see you.
0: Uh, yeah, it's been a very long time. I, you know, I, We'll catch up on the way. Whew, and you guys hop through the portal. You get to the Palace of Heart's Desire, which is in much better shape than it was. Uh, a lot of the uh, decrepitness of the uh, mansion has been restored. A lot of the weeds have been pulled back and maintained. Um, and you walk inside, seeing a lot of familiar faces. A uh, lot of Fowler's Call is still there, um, but importantly, Zyvilna is there. And she greets you. So,
3: it is time I repaid my debt. What fast? I think to start, there's someone I need you to help me get in touch with. And I'll explain the meeting with Yvonne mm-hmm. and how he made a deal with me and we shook on it and I'll show her my Fae contract seal and the Infernal seal and how it's like now corrupted. It's ah. like, so could you, you mind bringing this guy here for me? She snaps her finger. A portal
0: opens. And with a puff of sulfur, sulfurous smoke, I should say, Uh, you see a rakshasa falls out onto the ground. Oh, my God. You made it. (laughs) What's up, buddy? It's me. It's me, Nika. Oh, well, color me pink and call me a pinata. It is good to see you, my friend. I'm going to help him stand up.
3: How you feeling?
0: Well, I've been better. It's been a long time and I don't have a whole lot of
3: time to explain to you. It has been a long time, but work. you have a lot of time. Oh, do I? You're you this is this is my friend no? She's kind of my teacher.
0: I've, I've heard of her. Yeah, no. We uh, I've never met her before, but I know that she's tricky with demons. You're on our so,
3: time now. Our time.
0: It's much more pleasant than where I was, I admit. <clears throat> anyway, what can I help you with? Oh, I think I already know what it is. Oh, do you? I do. The deal? Yes, yes, You're... the deal indeed, my friend. Well, as a matter of fact, and he starts rummaging through his uh, back. He's like, mm, nope, that ain't it. Mm, maybe that's it. No, 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 that's definitely not it. Ah, here it is and he pulls out what looks to be a um what looks to be a small golden band with intricate runes carved into it. And it looks simple, but the runes are carved in a way that an average jeweler would not be able to do. These are so intricate and detailed that only a mage could inlay runes like this. But even then your own runes aren't as Intricate as these are These are the finest runes you have ever seen You asked for something of a legendary <clears throat> Importance I should say Now let me tell you how hard that was to find I scoured the lands, scoured the seas I scoured the skies even I had to travel all over to find a mage in a different multiverse that had some kind of unique item such as this. You can tell he's kind of lying through his teeth, but the importance of the item, nonetheless, is very valuable. This is a Ring of Invisibility. Oh. Okay.
3: Nice. Yeah, this is valuable enough, but you're late.
0: I do admit it. um has been a long time, and I see that you've uh, already gotten out of the Shadowfell, so your business has concluded there. I believe
3: I said before we fought and killed Strahd, and we killed Strahd. And you were were displeased with where you were living just now? Yeah, sure. So you want a new home? Sure. Well, the way I see it is, I know your name, I know a way to summon you. I know no way to keep you here. So why don't you just work for me? New employment. What do you want from me? I want a right-hand man. I want eyes and ears, and you seem to be like that kind of guy.
0: I keep an ear out. What do you need me to do, like,
3: spy on somebody? Yeah. I'm get... real good at that. You ever heard of Capital?
0: <laughs> yeah. Let's talk. So you spend the next week practicing and honing your fey magics and in making this new deal tasha also mentions excuse me zybilna i guess in this form mentions that every archfey starts with their most valued trinket and establishing that as your main kind of phylactery quote unquote for lack of better terms to funnel all of your fey magic into
3: what would that be i mean it's gotta be the gun Gotta be the gun. Okay.
0: That is now your Faye trinket. We'll go over what happens in more detail with with that at a later date. But you establish that as your trinket and attune with it at a more deeper level than a regular magic item. Um and Yovan establishes his contract with you to work with you to be your eyes and ears for the time being.
3: Sick. Yeah, I spend the week doing that. Okay. I'm happy. Oh, I'll say this. When the, all of my training ends, I will be going back to Duskmore. Like, like when my week wraps up, I told them i meet them all there. Yeah, you
0: uh, eventually make your way back to the castle and uh, reconvene with everyone.
4: Hello, I'm Liliana and I play Tori, no last name, <laughs> Tori is an 8 foot tall fur bulk. Um, she is a druid, um, wildfire shaped druid, and a um, rogue. She's a soul knife rogue, currently her alignment is true neutral, or chaotic neutral, but uh, she used to be evil, so she's made some progress in her life, um, and she's ten- level 10. In terms of her looks, she, again, as I said, is eight foot tall. She has brown hair, um, very long, as furbolgs tend to not cut their hair throughout their lifespan. Um, her eyes are a dark green color. She wears roguish clothes to kind of blend in with her surroundings. And, um... Her armor is all black, and um, is kind of made to blend into her surroundings as it's a magical item that kind of gives her a boost to her stealth. And she also has a few daggers, but other than that, it's all mental.
0: <laughs> and after coming back from the Shadowfell, where do we find Tori currently?
4: She's uh, kind of just milling about this, this castle and preparing herself for her trek to Capitol.
0: Okay. Is there anyone she particularly wanted to speak or talk to or talk with before leaving the tower in Duskmoor to move to capital? Or do you just wish to kind of, like, make your way out as unseen as possible?
4: Um, she would inform her comrades, <laughs> her friends, um, because she's made progress. She, she used to be a very much a lone wolf, but now she's trying to work... To be a little bit more communicative. So she will tell her friends that she's leaving before she leaves.
0: Okay. You relay this information to your friends. You make your way to capital. What's your first stop when you do get to the city, though?
4: She's going to find her family, which she assumes they're where she left them, but a lot of things have changed.
0: A lot of things have changed, including their address, actually. Um, The current... Tenants of the home actually advise you, oh, Antiquo and, and Miuta, they moved uh, actually closer to the inner circles of the city. Uh, so you're one of, and they give you like basically detailed instructions of how to get to their new home, which is strange because why would they have this information? But as you follow this direction and you get to this address, you realize it's a public address because it's a... Uh, political official's house, basically. It's, like, not their house, but basically where you would go to speak with them. Like, their Mm -hmm. uh, governmental building, if you will.
4: Yeah, I like to imagine, like, as Tori's walking through the city, she's just, like, kind of looking at a map she got, and she's like, what the... Why is everything different? Like, we haven't been gone that long. Like, I know three years have passed, but, like, everything's changed.
0: Um... But you get in, and... Immediately, there's a receptionist behind the counter.
4: Oh, she doesn't go in. She, she oh, you sneaks don't go in. in.
0: Oh, you sneak in. Okay, yeah. um, okay. So you sneak in. You go through the top floor. You get through a window that uh, you're able to kind of get open with some finagle, um, and sneaking room to room, um, you do begin to realize that this is some sort of uh, union building. It's, each room is dedicated to a trade. You open, you kind of peek through one door and you see uh, a bunch of chairs with what seem to be um, construction workers throughout the city talking about zones that they need to be building in and fortified for coming conflicts with something. And going through, each room is something similar, trying to allocate space but something commonly themed in each room, each room appears a little militaristic. Like, not officially, but like almost militia-like, where they're like planning tactical locations for things to to build and fortify. And everyone in there seems to be on the exact same page.
4: At this point, Tori is like, is this where they, they live? I think she gave me the wrong address.
0: <laughs> Eventually, you come on to an office room, with a chair facing the window and the window up. You peek through the door, but this door is a little creaky, so as it kind of comes to a halt as you peek, it does kind of like a little bit, squeaks a little bit. The chair spins, and in the chair is a nine-foot figure, imposing but familiar. You see your father in very Very decorated clothing of that of would-be-a-city official. Tori? And you see he's staring at you with the eyes of someone who is horrified, relieved, and panicked all at the same time.
4: Hey, Dad. (laughs) How have you been? Tori? That's me. I'm taller now.
0: Well, I, I, I can see that. Well, I... How did you... Where... I thought you have been at the... And you see he stops. And he looks down. Um, I thought you have been away still.
4: You thought I was still at camp? No, I left that a long time ago.
0: That's good to hear. I, um... Is it? Yes, um...
4: Then why'd you put me in the first place?
0: Tori, I... I didn't know... Who they were or what they wanted from me or you. They just showed me the programs that they offered for magical youth. And I I wanted a better life for you because our family was suffering. And when they talked to me, their offer was not only money, but it is what you see now. The union in which I've believed for so long can finally be possible, and the workers of the city can have a say in what their work means to them. I didn't know what the inner workings of that were until I gained the status I have now, and I have learned of their less than favorable methods of teaching students.
4: You gave your daughter, willingly, to people who were willing to pay a lot of money for me. And you didn't think that they were not bad people? I had a good life. We weren't the richest people. We weren't doing good at all. But we had each other? That was enough. I didn't need to go to school. I didn't need anything special. I was doing fine. You made my life a living hell by selling me.
0: I accept that.
4: I don't need you to accept that.
0: If you don't need me to accept that, or want my apology, why are you here? Why did you come here to me?
4: Honestly, I didn't come here to you. I came here to make sure my mom and my siblings were still okay. You just happened to be here. In fact, I'm regretting seeing your face.
0: If you want to see your siblings, your mother, here's the address. And he pulls out this, um, what looks like a nice carved stone that's very polished, but it has runes head to toe carved into it. And you watch as he kind of holds his hand out, and as he kind of waves it over his hand, there's this little piece of paper, like a note's been inscribed, and he hands it over to you with the correct address for your family's new home. (sighs) Look, I wish I could talk more, even though you probably don't want to hear me speak. But unfortunately, now I am a councilman of the city. I am within the Edict of Eight, advising the Empress, so I have to go to a meeting.
4: You haven't seen your daughter in thirty years, and you've got a meeting. That's funny.
0: (sighs) Like I said, I wish I could stay and explain to you why I can't be here right now. But I can't. It's too important. You see, he grabs like... A cap or like a hat of some kind, like a coat, like he's about to go out, and you see that he walks over to a small little metal plate that's embedded into the floor. It's got a rune inscribed into it. Look, Tori, would you want to hear what I have to say? I will talk to you. Until then, just go see your mother and your family. They would be thrilled to see you. And he snaps his finger, and the dais beneath him lights up, and he. Vanishes. I'm
4: going to go through his office.
0: (laughs) Okay. Um, You find within his office... Yeah. I'll say you find basic plans for construction of new homes or building a new uh, pipeline for fresh water or whatever the case may be, new teleportation dais, whatever. But you also find, and I'll give it to you when we are out of here, there's actually a map that I have of... The city's rune grid. This rune grid is a collective of different things that help make the city run automated doors, teleportation sigils, protective wards, etc. You also find in a secret compartment um, detailed plans for what the Moss Union, his organization, is to do. And you see key points in the city that are about to be cut off from resources of the other parts of the city and their doors that connect the walls actually locked to save on magical energy. So basically, certain certain portions of the city are completely being annexed to fend for themselves with no resources, no power, no guard protection, nothing. And your father's organization is helming this project.
4: Victoria's a moment where she considers arson. It's not, it's not just, it's, it's more than one life. It's fine. Not gonna commit arson today. This is what she says to herself. (laughs) Anyway, so she heads to, she takes, like, the files and stuff. She doesn't care. She takes the files and she's gonna head to her parents, her, the address he gave her.
0: Okay. You go to see your mother. And she's, she actually drops whatever it is she's doing, literally, literally. Like, you walk in and she's holding something and completely just freezes. You see her begin to cry as she approaches you. She goes to hug you, but she stops, as if she doesn't have the right to.
4: Uh, Tori does not hug her.
0: To- Tori, ah, uh, what a... Surprise? What are, you, what are you doing here?
4: I'm making sure you're alive. I am? I see that.
0: Um, some of your siblings are here, too. Um, I'm afraid that uh, Tio is not here at the moment. He is well, he's joined the Minutemen, the military, and he's well, he's been deployed out into the fields to defend the city. Um, She begins to fully just weep now at this point, and she explains to you how, after you left, she was the first one to basically berate her father and because he was the one that kind of led that charge and 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 decided that it would be a good idea. and her guilt doesn't come from letting you go. Her guilt comes from not fighting harder for you to stay. And at this point, the commotion kind of brings in the rest of your siblings, and now you see two... 30 year old fur Just really.
4: To be fair though, 30 is when fur reach adulthood.
0: Right. So you see two 30-year-old fur the twins, walk in. Uh hey, hey mom. Are you okay? who, who, who is this? Are, are, I'm sorry, who who are you? Are you a friend of mom's?
4: Her she just gets so sad, she's like, keep it together. Um, I'm I'm your sister. You know, the one they sold off to kill people. Tori? Yeah. I held you as babies, and now you're old.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we've already gone through university and everything. What are you? Are you you okay?
4: I'm fine.
0: Well, you look okay, so that's good. I'm sorry, I don't really know you that well so I don't know if a hug's appropriate I I would but I don't know if you would want that I'll take a hug great she
4: like grabs them both of them and just like gives like the biggest hug it's a I know you don't remember me but it's been a while
0: yeah it it has Um, Tula's not here right now unfortunately she's at the grocery store you know getting some stuff for us but um do you want to stay? I mean we we can make we can make dinner, right mom? That'd be cool, right? And your mother who's still trying to compose herself looks at you with waiting kind of uh confirmation.
4: Maybe maybe dinner would be nice, but I have to go somewhere after.
0: Your mother walks off without a word and you begin to hear noises from the kitchen <laughs> and followed by your youngest siblings well, well, I guess, come on in. I guess let's just show you some pictures and stuff to kind of catch you up then. I, you know, it's been a while. And over the next hour or so, you begin to have this recollection of what they've been up to. You see pictures of Tio in his Minutemen kind of armor with his little arcane rifle and yada, yada, yada. You know, it's, it's, it's very bitter sweet. Mostly bitter than sweet. But there is this hint of, like, these... Two youngest siblings of yours are fascinated to learn, you know, even though it may be hard for you to talk about any experiences you're willing to share. And they listen to them with like wide eyes and ears while your mom is still there to listen. She has guilt and she has a hard time looking at you.
4: Are there any pictures of Tori left?
0: Oh yeah. There's pictures of Tori all over. They haven't taken any of them down. And as you're having this dinner, you hear something at the door. You hear it. Knock, But it's not like a gentle knock. It's like a... Minute Mint Patrol. Do you have a minute?
4: She looks at her mother, like with panic in her eyes. Is there somewhere I can hide?
0: Yes, um, come with me. And she begins to guide you to kind of like a uh, closed-off closet in the back room that has some room to hide in. (laughs) Minutes go by, and eventually you hear a commotion. Multiple boots hitting the wooden floor of your family's home. With your mother shouting and making a commotion, she kind of hollers, No! You will not take her again! And then you hear a noise that kind of sounds like an arcane flash. And then you hear a thump.
4: Tori's like running out there. (laughs) She's like...
0: You see that she's been hit with a paralyzed spell. And she's currently just kind of, like, immobile on the floor, not able to move. And one of the Minutemen patrol have their, like, arcane blaster set to stun.
4: Um, Tori's gonna immediately start, like, fighting them. Yeah, we're not you
0: put up a him. damn good fight. <laughs> this patrol unit actually gets taken out, and you flee, make it out of the street, only for the alleys to actually become flooded with units. And not all of them are Minutemen patrol. Two of the units in particular come marching down the street, heavy, metallic footsteps with these domed bodies, with a large crystal in the front, and with a deep, bellowing voice, This is Capital Guard. You are being placed under arrest. You will be taken to our island prison, 13. If you do not comply, you will be terminated.
4: Was it my father?
0: They say nothing to you and begin to move on you to apprehend you.
4: Oh, she's going to keep fighting, but...
0: You fight and you fight, but eventually there's too many guards. And they take you down. They bring in a automaton wagon and place you in the back of it with some of the guards, you're handcuffed. You are taken to prison. With the scene set and our players introduced... We will pick up next time with Session 1 of Idleer Unveiled. We hoped you enjoyed this episode of Monsquad Squad and If you did, please consider subscribing to the podcast and leave us a comment to let us know your favorite part of the episode. As always, a big thank you to Bree Beecher, our editor, Caleb Martin, our musician, and Lily Bluin our artist. We'd also like to thank our players, Bree Beecher, Caleb Martin, Hunter Parker, Lily Bluin,
1: And of course, our DM, Marcus Hurston.